0: Thank We're kind of excited about the conversation today, first of all, because our guest is just a wonderful, bubbly person who's got the most amusingly traumatic story, if that makes any sense. Also interesting because I just got last minute word that there's some contractors working directly above me and the noise might cause me to have to mute my conversation and just sit here staring at the camera while Jason carries on the majority of the interview either way we're going to get through this together this is the joys of unpacking Mm -hmm. emotional stuff we can't always anticipate and and count on the most ideal environment to work through our stuff so i think this is going to be a real world example of you know how we get better through spending a bit of time together so amber i'm going to let you introduce yourself to the the audience because i think nobody's better at describing you than you welcome to the show
1: (laughs) thank you so much for having me my name is amber schultz and this is probably the hardest part is saying something about myself um i am a mom of three my husband is a veteran um i am a musician a singer songwriter writer i work in movie production um i religious but not as crazy religious as they used to be so there's just a lot going on in this head of mine so i'm excited to be here and kind of talk about everything
0: so we were chatting a little bit just before we started recording here and i i could see when you were just sort of sharing the the most superficial details of your story jason's wheels were really really turning Yeah. So in, instead of doing that thing I always do where I jump in and just take charge of the interview, I'm going to put him in the hot seat and let him ask a couple of these questions that I think have been pressing on him the last few minutes.
2: Oh, he just burned my ass. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure, right? <Ryan. laughs> well, one of the biggest questions is when did you become aware that the type of religion you were following didn't work for you as an adult?
1: I would say I was um, 20, 24. Is probably about, it was about a year after my oldest daughter was born. Um, I was still very much clinging to a lot of the traditional things after I moved out and got married. And I was kind of working through things. But once my husband came back from Afghanistan with PTSD and a lot of issues. Um, and I reached out to my church for prayer and support on what I needed to do. And they basically told me I needed to pray it away and get him in church. And I knew that was not right. I just deep down in my soul. I was like, he's going to, he's going to die. If I literally just follow that, um, that was the first time I took a big step and broke away. Outside of the time I moved out, which isn't another story, but this was like really one of the most pivotal things in my adult life that was like, okay, something is not right with how we're doing things. And um, there's more to the world and to believing um, than what I've been taught. And from that point, it's been like a very big roller coaster of deconstructing leaving my beliefs, going back to beliefs, you know, just kind of like this big mishmash thing and really kind of discovering who I am after being told who I am for my entire life.
2: So you mentioned deconstruction. Mm -hmm. Was there a reconstruction? Is that still in process?
1: So deconstruction is a term that recently has been coined by the, by young people who are leaving fundamental faith. Basically, they're deconstructing their faith and finding out what they really believe. So I guess I would find myself now in the reconstruction phase of it. I'm pulling in pieces that I believe are very valuable and what the truth is for me. Um, It doesn't mean it necessarily works for everybody else, but I personally think that relationships with God are very personal. So um, I guess you could say I'm in that reconstruction phase at this point in my
0: 30s so a a lot of this um deconstruction reconstruction process it hits kind of close to home for me like what we were discussing before we started recording i mean jason has never had religion never had a a, like a, a a faith component of that style in his life whereas you and i both grow up grew up in a very um fundamentalist christian environment so i mean i understand a lot of what you're talking about this need to reassess where you're at where you've you're forced to consider everything you've ever held to be true but what i think that people that have grown up without faith may not understand is that um the reason this this uh, deconstruction reconstruction process carries so much weight for us is because every component to belief is directly tied into a childhood experience for us Mm -hmm. Can, can you speak to to that a little bit maybe like where the the roots of your deconstruction actually lay
1: absolutely um for me the roots of it is the um subjugation of women is really prominent in fundamental, in fundamental groups. And I was taught from childhood that basically my role was to marry and have babies and submit to my husband in every facet, which also in parentheses includes spousal rape is okay. And that's like, that's not okay. Um, and even as a kid, I remember listening to messages going, I don't, that just doesn't sit right with me, but it becomes so ingrained because they hold it over your head that if you don't believe or act or do these things, then you're, you're not right. Or you're, you're not truly saved or you're going, you're, you're backslid and you're losing your testimony for other people. And they put this. Massive weight on you that if you don't check all these boxes, then you're you're a failure, and God's going to beat you over the head with a hammer. And so, in my deconstruction, I had to literally start confronting all of these ideologies that have been plugged into my head. Like the way I dress, down to the way I dress, or if I wear makeup. Um, The first time I wore pants, I literally thought I was going to hell. And, um, and I know it's kind of odd because most of the time it's more of a Pentecostal type of thing, but it was very ingrained in this Baptist culture. And I, to this day, I'm not even joking, if I see someone from the old crowd and I'm in, I'm in pants, I have a knee jerk reaction to hide because I'm ashamed for an instant because I was taught to be ashamed of that. And that's right. just kind of like a, an example of that.
0: So it's almost like they're seeing you in your underwear.
1: Yes, exactly. Wow. Um, And another one that recently happened, um, and this just kind of, because it's always, it was, we were always taught that if a man abuses a woman, assaults a woman, it's because she dressed a certain way, she acted a certain way, she was not in her home like she was supposed to be. Basically, it was her fault. It's always the woman's fault. Yeah. Um, And I was sexually assaulted at my job last year. And whenever it happened, literally for three days, what played in my head was, if you had been home where you're supposed to be, this would not have happened. Wow. And because I remember multiple messages, pastors getting up and berating women and telling them what they needed to do. And I was like, man, I didn't know that was still lying dormant in there. So I had to like, not only deal with like the traumatic event of of being assaulted, I had to then deal with all of the stuff that i've been programmed to believe as a kid. Hmm.
2: Well, it definitely sounds like PTSD.
1: <laughs> yeah. My my ther- i i am a big proponent for therapy and my therapist um, has diagnosed me with um, CPTSD. So i've codependent yeah. or whatever the c means. Um, because i was still i've been in contact with my abuser up until this last year there's like a lot of layers to everything. So Yeah. And if you hear my dogs in the background, I'm so sorry.
0: (laughs) That's okay. No, it's, it's one of those things that like, you know, I I can identify with so much as what you're saying, because when you've, when you've got trauma in your past and you're dealing with the CPTSD, which I I think like we're all members of that same club.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. It's amazing how often in the day to day, I mean, that, that you can be surprised by, a trigger it doesn't have to be a big ticket item like being sexually assaulted. Yeah. It could literally be a case of like you spill a little bit of sugar on the counter when you're putting it in your your coffee and it's like you're almost ducking that punch that is never going to come.
1: <laughs> um, one of the like my dad I play. I taught myself how to play the piano basically but my dad would never allow me to play it when I'm around when he was around unless I was playing music that he liked and I would get in trouble. Like he would yell and scream at me for playing the piano. And so now as an adult, I cannot practice with people around me at all. Really? It gives me so much anxiety for someone to be around me whenever I'm trying to learn something new. Now, Once I perfect it, it's fine. You know, I, I play for church. I, you know, I do all sorts of stuff with music, um, but I can't do it unless I perfect it before I play it in front of anyone. Because of that exact reason, it's so it's so crazy.
2: It sounds like you're used to being bastardized as well.
1: Yes, very much. my My home was very conditional, not just in church. Uh, love was conditional, not just at church, but it was also at home. And so, basically, performance was what kept the goodness. Because with his narcissistic behavior, I understand this now as an adult. If as long as we were feeding that need and making him happy, making him look good, everything was fine. But if we screwed up at all, even just a little bit, then that love was taken away. So everything I do, even now that I'm aware of what I do, I'm like, I'm very performance-based. So I can't, you know, I can't do anything unless I feel like it's at perfection. And that's because of all of that growing up. Just waiting
2: to be criticized for that.
1: And, the criti- and criticism is awful. Like I, it devastates me. It kicks the legs out from underneath me. And even if it's constructive, so I have to sit back and process through it and be okay. Okay. This they didn't mean it. They don't hate me. They're not going to cast me out. They're just trying to help me. And then I have to go back to the conversation and be okay, because I'm used to it being such an extreme. You're either perfect and performing or you're not. And you're completely out.
2: Well, narcissists typically hide their criticism as, oh, it's constructive. I'm doing it for your good.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. That's and my dad would call call me a Jezebel or a whole bunch of other names. Um, as I got into my adult, adoles- you know, my teenage years, mm-hmm. um, whenever I would wear a skirt that was below- right below my knee, but it wasn't to the floor. And so he would even dictate like my, my dress. Um, and, I love, I love writing and um, creative writing is a huge outlet for me. But whenever I was about 13, he broke into my diary and read everything. And then I got in major trouble for it. Like I was, I was beat for it basically. And so since then I've had a struggle with journaling. It's so weird. Even as an adult, I can't hardly journal mm-hmm. because of, because of that.
0: I, I get that though. Cause I mean, when you've got, an environment, like spiritually speaking, and I I, I say spiritually in the loosest possible mm-hmm. way,
2: yes, because
0: I don't I don't think that type of Christianity is spiritual at all. I think it's just mm-hmm. a nasty cult, like you know. Yes. But when you're so used to that mindset where somebody's always watching, somebody's always listening, even in the privacy of your own thoughts, you mm-hmm. are guilty of saying and doing the wrong things. And then that gets reinforced by somebody violating the privacy of your personal journals. It's like, Mm -hmm. I I don't think that people that haven't grown up in that environment could completely grasp how much that messes with your head Mm -hmm. decades after the fact. I mean, I, I don't want to turn this into the AC show. But every element of your story so far, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sitting here with goosebumps on the verge of tears because like, this is, it's resonating. I get it. And it's just, yeah, I I don't even know. Like people ask like, well, what's, how do you deal with this? And, you know, my answer is always, well, I just do, but I'm going to take that difficult question and throw it at you now. Like, how do you deal with this?
1: Thank you for listening to In The Blood. Please remember to like, follow,
0: and share. How do you deal with this?
1: Um, A lot of therapy, to be honest with you. I had to become very self-aware before I could deal with my issues. Um, so um, the first probably about five years of therapy was survival mode. My therapist was trying to help me just d- deal because My husband, my husband's PTSD was horrible for the first five years. Um, and so I had that on top of having babies and postpartum depression and postpartum psychosis. There was a lot of things going on. Um, and from there I started trying to be very, I wanted to know why, why was I reacting that way? Why, why am I letting these things bother me? Why am I driven to do things and react in, in, certain directions. And so, um, I started doing like a lot of personality quizzes. I did like the Myers-Briggs stuff I did. Um, and I talked with my therapist and I, I started, I'm a very visual person. So I look at my brain, like it has like a million doors and behind those doors are marbles and they're all different colors. And one day my therapist finally helped me unlock, like all of the marbles burst out at one time and they just shattered everywhere. And I think the compartmentalizing is a tra- is a trauma response, basically. Oh, and, so, and so from there, I started to be able to deal with everything one at a time. She's like, okay, your marbles are everywhere. Let's pick a color. So whatever this color was, we started working through that. Okay, today it's, okay, this type of, of abuse. Okay, why, why? how are you feeling about it? Let's work through that. Um, and, um, having kids really helped because, um, with them, with me having three girls, I swear, God has a sense of humor. Um, it made me realize I needed to be for them. What I never had. Yeah. And that's going to make me emotional <laughs> cause I'm And So for me to be for them, what I needed, what they needed, I had to fix me first. I couldn't carry around this weight of anger and bitterness and resentment, which is very valid, very valid to feel that way towards your abuser in like a, in a life of trauma. Um, but that wasn't going to benefit my children. And so, and also wouldn't benefit my marriage because, you know, my husband was working on himself. We were trying to become better people for our kids and And that is how I just started dealing with it. And it's a day at a time. Sometimes it's a minute at a time. Um, I have to, I do a lot of grounding exercises because my anxiety is through the roof 99% of the time. Um, And it's like, I learned to take things as they come in waves versus dwelling on what could happen because I was so used to waiting for the next shoe to fall. I couldn't enjoy anything. And so it became, whatever thought comes into my brain at this moment, or whatever whatever's triggered at this time, I need to deal with it now. And then try to tuck it tuck it away, or or talk to my therapist about it if I can't do, get over it myself. That kind of thing. If that does that make sense? I feel like I'm rambling.
2: I'm sorry. Oh, no, absolutely, it makes sense. I'm just I'm just, for me, tying in like I as we mentioned earlier i've got no religion in my life but i was a street kid so i didn't have the parental influence but i still had the the same restrictions that were put on by society being you know you're just a street kid you're just just a statistic you're mm-hmm. you're not good enough and mm-hmm. when i became a parent having to deconstruct my myself from my addiction and from my um over-aggressive tendencies, we'll say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but deconstruct, take everything out and rebuild. And mm-hmm. though it wasn't religion-based, it's amazing the similarities that people can, can come together with through, Absolutely. through trauma or, or through life cir- circumstance.
1: Yeah. And what I started doing um, about five years ago, I started setting a theme for my year, Um And I I think it's a pretty common practice, but for me, like my first one was to work on relationships that whole year, I was going to be intentional with relationships because I'm horrible with interpersonal relationships. I don't do well with relating on a deep level to people because of all the things in my brain. I don't feel like people understand me or can get me. Um, And so that has helped a lot in my growth. Um, Let's see about... In twenty twenty, my year was actually, um, oh shoot, not reconstru- reconstruction. It was whenever you're remodeling a house, whenever you tear th- everything out. What is the word for that? I can't remember now.
0: Renovation. Renovation.
1: Yeah, renovation or um, yeah. Basically, I was renovating my. I was like, this year I want to change everything about myself. That that is very blatantly ob- obvious. And man, did I do that? And it was horribly painful. <laughs> It was awful. That was one of it was a hard year. 2020 was just hard for everybody. But the next year, my, my word was empowerment, empowerment. And I went from that renovation stage to being empowered. And I, from there, I got into movie making. I got into, um, I started my business with doing weddings. I started building myself into this person that I've always been, but was told I couldn't be. And I became empowered in in myself and my abilities and completely changed the course of my life.
0: So you'd mentioned um, spending a year working on relationships. This is something that Jason and I were were talking about a little bit last night, how people more often than not, they'll see a successful um, relationship exercise always resulting in the relationship being patched up and moving forward everybody holding hands and being happy but often in in my experience the most successful relationship exercise can be just saying you know what this is where we part ways yes Can, can you identify with that
1: absolutely last year after my year of really working on myself my year of empowerment of empowerment I basically shook the tree and I wanted to see what fruits fell off or leave dead leaves fell off and those relationships I left behind because I had to give myself permission to no longer have to be responsible for toxic relationships. it, it It was, I was always basically the mediator and the caregiver for my parents. I, I, my mom would come to me for, with her problems with my dad and have me go to my dad to try to fix it. I was the diplomat. Um, and
2: that, That's a heavy weight.
1: <laughs> it is a horribly heavy weight. Um, and that carried over into my adult life. So I'm, I'm very sensitive to people's emotions and how people, I can tell instantly if something changes in a room. I, and some people call it empath. Um, I find, I call it my survival skill. I learned how to adapt to a situation so I'm people pleasing the best I can. So I don't get yelled at.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, But yeah, I, once I finally came to that point, I started leaving behind relationships and it was probably the, it was literally the best thing I could have done. I haven't talked. My dad was one of them. It took until last year for me to completely cut him off mm -hmm. and there's still guilt. Sometimes traveling through the back of my head going, you know, you should forgive him. He's your only father. And, um, you know, that stuff plays through my head, but the really reality is, is I did, I do forgive him. I, I don't hold any animosity towards him, but it doesn't mean I have to still talk to him.
2: And you don't have to like the person.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that doesn't make me any less Christian.
2: No, if, if we want to
1: bring in, bring in my faith. I mean, it doesn't change. My, my relationship status with god if i'm not talking to toxic people
2: mm-hmm. well and, and there's no reason you owe anybody anything you don't owe to somebody who has hurt you and somebody who you know is going to hurt you again staying separated is the safest thing mm-hmm. not only for you physically but mentally as well you need absolutely. that area of openness where you can just be you without anybody else interfering and coming down with hammers
1: absolutely
2: did you find that there was any any um, resistance? Like, did he try to contact you and try to, you know, say, you know, clamor on and hold on to the to the aura he had created?
1: So yes. Um, then I finally just bought I, I never gave him my address whenever we moved into our new house, so he doesn't know where I live. And then I blocked him on all social media, and then I deleted all of his family and blocked them because mm-hmm. they enable him very much. Um, and so she, he tried several times to get around that, trying to like go through another cousin, maybe a distant cousin I was talking to, or, um, but I never, basically I went, what is it like, I went to a gray rock. I just stopped responding and stopped showing any type of emotion. Cause what I did for myself, I wrote him a very long letter, basically explaining to him how I felt, how growing up in that environment affected me as an adult, Um, you know, telling him that if he apologized, you know, and owned his mistake, owned what he did, I would be willing to consider doing, having a relationship with him. And his response is, you're not worth my time.
2: Wow.
1: And then six months later, this is is about a year before I, I blocked him completely. Six months later, he messages me going, just wanna let you know I love you and I miss you. I wish you would contact me more. And I'm like, uh, hello. And at that point I really kind of turned a page and I was like, listen, I tried. I I did everything I could that I, I, I forgave you. I poured my heart out to you and he said, I wasn't worth it. And so I'm not doing this anymore. And so that was pretty much the finality of it.
2: So, and and like genuine curiosity, how do you come back from that? When, when a parent says to you, you're not worth my time. Like I'm I'm a single dad with two kids, love my kids. I couldn't imagine for a second not being there for them, never mind them wasting my time. Right. How do you come back from that? What did you you have? What was your process?
1: I think honestly, I knew it already in the back of my head. Hmm. And he finally verbalized it. So I think as part of my therapy and dealing with my issues with my dad already, I think I'd already kind of started the healing. Knowing I was never going to be what he wanted me to be. I was never going to start fawning over his narcissistic ways. Cause I started calling the shots like I saw it and it, it would piss him off. And, um, I just knew like, it was almost like, I just knew in the back of my head, that's how he felt. But then he finally verbalized it. And that, that spiraled me down for probably about three months. I'm not going to lie. That was a pretty, pretty heavy blow. Mm-hmm. um because it's one thing to feel like to feel that way it's another thing for them to actually say it <laughs> it's something totally yeah. different
2: Well um, you do know that you are worth it right and yeah. that the only person that you have to be enough for is you yes because from my opinion you are pretty phenomenal
1: oh thank you very much you're very kind <laughs> I've worked very hard to become confident in who I am as a person um very very hard there's been a lot of bad to make this, make a good, but, um, but yeah, I've, I realized I had to find worth in myself and I couldn't, I couldn't base my worth, my self-worth on other people because other people flake. I mean, it's not, it's just human nature. People are fickle. Um, and I had to be okay with myself. And after my dad said that to me, After It took about three months and then I started reconstructing, throwing these words around and putting these building blocks piece by piece, just one after another, becoming, okay, I may not be what he thinks I should be. This is who I am. I'm strong. I'm, you know, this is what I tell my children. You're strong. You're smart. You're kind. You're beautiful. And you're loved. And they get so annoyed that I tell them that, but I'm like, they don't understand why I do necessarily. And I hope it sticks with them as they grow up because I'm, te- I'm speaking to them what I wanted for myself. And now, and then I turned and started telling myself the same thing. Um, and it's really just grown. It's like grown my confidence. It's grown, um, my relationships I have lost some relationships because of it, because people who I had around me that enjoyed the fact that I was kind of a doormat did not like that. I started standing up for myself Um, and started gaslighting me, which now I'm like, listen, you're not my parents and they were the masters. Okay. (laughs) So you, you have nothing on them. Um, and so, um, yeah, I'm rambling again. I'm so sorry.
2: No, no, you're doing perfectly fine. I just feel a bit bad because I noticed I cut off AC earlier. (laughs) No, you're
0: (laughs) okay. I, I have a tendency to ramble myself. So it's probably a good thing to cut me off once in a while.
1: <laughs> Are you enjoying in the blood support the show by clicking the subscribe button and follow us on social media.
0: <laughs> the, the one term that you've brought up a couple of times, I know you've explained it a little bit is, is deconstruction. I, I, I really, it's one of the things that struck me right off the get go in chatting with you a a couple weeks ago when we first started talking. I love that term. And a a lot of the reason is that when I was like coming into a crisis of faith years ago, I mean, I ended up for me, the result wasn't reinventing my Christianity. It was just, Mm -hmm. you know, moving away from faith entirely. Right. I didn't deconstruct anything. I threw a freaking hand grenade into my life, and there were no pieces to build from. It was just like a, a bunch of smoking rubble. I had to literally reinvent the wheel. Mm-hmm. I think it's really admirable that you were more careful and methodical about it, and that you sort of did have something to work with <laughs> at the other end.
1: Well, what I did is I took what I was taught about God and Jesus, which is this horribly judgmental person that, you know, we pick, you know, we stand with picket at picket fences with signs saying God hates gays and you're a murderer. If you have abortions Um, and you're awful, if you do this and you do this, but at the same time covering up the fact that they're having an affair with like almost every woman in the church or, you know, they're molesting kids or whatever they're doing. They hide that, but they speak out about all this stuff. And the hypocrisy drove me insane. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. And that's what, whenever I started deconstructing, I was like, I may not even be Christian anymore after this, because I can't be a part of something that is like that. And um, what really stayed with me is that the true character of Jesus is not hate, and is not uh, bigotry, and it is not all of these things that Christianity and evangelicalism tried to cling to that he is. He's, he, scripturally, if you, if you go by the Bible, he, he hung out with the prostitutes, and the sinners, and all of these bad people, and he rebuked, and he put down all the religious people because of their, because they were Pharisees, and they were hypocrites, and that is what kind of turn the dial for me. It's like, okay, if I start looking at life the way I'm supposed to, the way Jesus is, then it's no longer I'm holy because I have this faith and you are bad because you don't. It's I love you because you're human, you're important, you're created, you know, in, in my belief, you're created and God loves you. And if He loves you, then I should too. And that, you know, I can have my, my brain can go, you know, I mean, I may not agree with certain lifestyle choices. I may not agree with certain behaviors. Um, but it doesn't mean I have to sit there and berate you for your choices, because those are your choices. We have free will. We have the ability to choose the life we have and make the choices for our life. And that is where structured Christianity and especially fundamentalism, and especially if you go into the cult side of it they take your free will away they go okay you can be a christian if you do a through z and if you mess up on any of this you're not a child of god you don't belong in this church we're going to completely shun you all of these things and that is not what christ intended in my belief for things to be he you know so i support i support you know portions of black lives matter you know i think there is, you know, just, and that's very weird for fundamental Christians to think like that. Um, I'm pro-choice, even though I personally would don't believe that, um, I, I, I don't like the idea of abortion, but I also understand that women need to have a choice because we don't understand their circumstances in life. It's not always, I'm using it as a birth control method. There are legitimate reasons why sometimes this needs to be available. And it's not the government's job or, or a church's job to tell me what I can and cannot do with my body. And so all of these things sort of coming in and, and creating this faith that I have that makes me kind of an outsider in my belief in, in like around churches and the Christians I'm still around. But so I'm like this, They call, I guess they would consider me a fence sitter where I'm like half in the world, half on God's side. That's what my old church would think. Um, and and really, I think it's just I I love people the way that I feel like Jesus would love people. And you can't win people by hating on them. You 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 show the love of Christ by loving people where they are. That's that's what I think.
2: Well, coming coming from an atheist background, mm-hmm. it's nice to hear a non hypocritical point of view (laughs) (laughs) it's it's really enjoyable to hear somebody that can take christianity in its fundamental theology if god can't change your free will so you have the right to go to hell if you choose not to be forgiven through jesus christ Mm -hmm. What makes you, because you're in a building behind a piece of wood called pulpit, think you can judge? Yep. So from, from a heathen's point of view, I love your love. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so
1: much. Well, and that's the thing is like, we, we have, Christians have skewed so much the view of Christ. I think that we have done a very great detriment to the cause of Christ because of how we've acted. And it bothers me very much so. And... I, I annoy the crap out of people because they're like, no, you shouldn't believe like that. But I'm like, show me where I'm wrong. You know, it's if we, if we are living under the age of grace as we believe we are, why am I wrong in treating people the way I do? You know, if you're going to call out sin, call out the sin that's in your church or in your own home. Start with your own issues before working out among, amongst everybody else. That's that's what I think.
2: In the dog shit out of your backyard before you decide to exactly.
1: tell somebody else. To do it. <laughs> hey, don't be slinging it in my yard because that pisses me off. <laughs> so,
0: well, Amber, we're coming up on the tail end of our time together, which I don't know. The the couple of times that I've chatted with you, I I hate when it gets to this time because you're just such an easy person to talk to. I feel like you know, we we might lose the audience at some point, but I I know Jason probably feels the same way. We could sit here chatting with you indefinitely, turn this into a three hour show, but that's not the time we've got. Um, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you or maybe like learn a little bit more about what it is you do, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Um, you can, um, do my email address. I don't mind. Um, it's, AmberTrails87 at gmail.com and it's a play on words because I love hiking. Um so a M-B-E-R-T-R-A-I-L-S 87 at gmail.com. I had to really think about that for a second. Um, and you can find me on social media. I'm on Facebook um and Instagram. I can't figure out TikTok. I'm in the wrong generation for that, so I'm not there. So <laughs>
2: Where where can people is that also where people can get a hold of you for your business?
1: Yes, absolutely.
2: Hmm. Fantastic.
0: Okay. Well, uh, for those of you who are listening to the audio podcast, we'll put links to these things in the show notes. For those of you who are watching on YouTube, you will see the links magically appear on your screen, even as I say this. <laughs> Amber Schultz, it has been an absolute delight spending time with you. And I am probably guilty of saying that a little bit more often than I should, but you know,
2: (laughs) we've been blessed with some really good guests. (laughs) Absolutely.
0: Yeah. But you, you really are just such a wonderful person and you bring a a version of Jesus to the table that honestly, I've, I've always been unfamiliar with. I find it refreshing that you could introduce me to this person who is such a stranger to the one that I knew growing up. So thank you for that.
2: You're
1: welcome.
2: It was nice to have a palatable conversation, including Jesus.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I appreciate you guys having me on and letting letting me kind of ramble on and share my story. And I've really enjoyed talking to you guys today. Well, yeah absolutely
0: anytime and um you, of course you're always welcome to come back again in the future so we can <laughs> ramble Tell some you more man.
2: i have a lot of stories <laughs> excellent
0: <laughs> all right thank you amber